A new employee at a software company needs access to a variety of tools. In order to get started working, the employee might need Slack, email, Google Docs, and Amazon Web Services, and all of these require an account with a username and password. Setting up all of these accounts can be time-consuming because the company needs to go into their admin portals and create the accounts, and then the accounts need to have the right security policies and configuration settings, and when the employee leaves the company, all of these accounts need to be shut down. Okta is a company that builds identity and access management software such as a single sign-on tool that allows users to log into all of these different types of accounts using only an Okta login. Okta was started in 2009 and has grown steadily since then, going public in 2017. Hector Aguilar is the president of technology at Okta, and he joins the show to talk about the software stack of Okta and how the company has evolved over time as it has become a core infrastructure provider and hired a large engineering team and scaled and built additional products. It's an interesting story about a company that has grown and built new products and scaled its engineering workforce. I hope you enjoy it. Hector Aguilar, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. You joined Okta in 2012, and we're going to talk about your journey and the Okta product and how Okta has evolved. Describe what the product did when you joined. What did Okta do? Well, I think initially Okta was focused on basically single sign-on. The idea that you would need to have credentials to multiple cloud services that you need to get your work done. And Okta started as a product that would allow you to have a single credential for everything that you would use to, to get your work done. And so if we go back eight years ago, there were a lot of cloud services, certainly less than now, but there were still a lot of cloud services already. You would have your Salesforce, your Box, your Dropbox, and anything that, that you would use as a cloud service. And the idea would be to have a single sign-on for, for everything that you had. That's, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Why is that kind of identity management useful? Why do we need a product for that? Well, I think there are several issues with identity. The first one is really security, right? You what, what was happening back then is that organizations were provisioning all of these accounts to these cloud services, and then you would have to set up a password for each of those cloud services. All of those cloud services would have different password restrictions, different security settings. And then, then at the end of the day, the user would have to remember all of those passwords. And so what ends up happening is that you end up writing all of your passwords in like a little post-it <laughs> note, which is not great. In addition to that, if one of those services gets compromised and you're using the same password for all of those services, obviously all of your services get compromised as well. And so the idea of having kind of single sign-on protocols with strong authentication so that you can sign in once, get kind of strong authentication with multi-factor, and then you basically get access to everything that you need was and continues to be very appealing to our customers. So that's one, kind of one thing um, from a security perspective. From the second aspect is the provisioning of all of these accounts to all of those services used to be manual as well, right? You, you would have to go to Box and, and provision a, a user and then go to Salesforce and provision a user. And Okta also allows you to actually provision and deprovision those accounts. 
That means that when an employee joins one of Okta customers, they automatically get provision to all of the services, all of the all of the services that they're gonna need to do their their work, kind of day one. I mean, that's basically one of the one of the nice nice things about Okta that your day one experience becomes really great. In addition to that, when somebody leaves the company or when you have to deprovision an employee, we also go and deprovision the accounts or suspend the accounts on all of the, on all of those services. Which means that because that's done automatically as well, uh, you don't have the concern of users having access to your to your company data after they they leave the company. Which was also again one of the problems that we had as an industry a long time ago. So there's a few types of products that I'd like to contrast with Okta just to help listeners who are unfamiliar with this this kind of product. So I run a small company, for example. We're based around Google Apps, and Google Apps is my notion of identity. And it, it works for us pretty well because we only have a couple employees. We don't have a large-scale employee base. We don't have a bunch of new accounts that need to be provisioned on a regular basis. How does Okta differ from that kind of experience, the experience of the small business owner who just uses Google Apps for their identity? Well, I mean, everything that I have described so far is the product that we have eight years ago. <laughs> the product had, has evolved quite a bit. So the problems that I was talking about is basically the way the company started, really looking at the exact problem that you're talking about when you have a small kind of business that has uh, let's say let's say google as as their email and maybe their i don't know document repository that's basically how they start using okta but then i'm sure you're using github and i'm sure you're probably going to start using jira for your backtracking definitely github right and maybe you'll use confluence or maybe you'll use some sort of wiki pages or or maybe you'll use amazon web services to to provision your infrastructure and maybe you'll have some monitoring systems like i don't know maybe splunk maybe sumo logic or maybe you'll use wavefront or zavix so at the end of the day, it's not only what you use for collaboration, it's also anything that you use to really run your, your run your product. And I'm not talking about engineering, but eventually you're going to be using, I don't know, QuickBooks, you're going to be using NetSuite, you're going to be using Salesforce as well. And so all of these services is exactly what Okta can do for small businesses. And again, that's, that's how we started. And so now you have this concept of an identity for your company and any employee can get provision to all of those services. And if they are in engineering, they will get basically access to GitHub and maybe Confluence and maybe Jira and maybe whatever you use for bug tracking, whatever you use for your roadmap planning. And then anybody that joins finance will also, in addition to their Google account, they'll get their Salesforce account or maybe the NetSuite account. And so at the end of the day, you really create a central view for the identity in your company and how that identity is used for all of the services that you use. And that's basically when, when companies are small, right? As the companies continue to grow, you're going to continue to need access to all of most services. And that's basically how Okta continued to evolve into really becoming a platform of identity for everything that you use. Because it's not only the cloud services that you use, maybe you'll have some internal systems. Maybe you develop your own 
your own uh, provisioning system for, for accounts in, in your own service, for example. Well, Okta can connect to it. Or in the more kind of newer scenarios, maybe if you're a small company that doesn't even want to build identity for your own product, then you use the Okta platform product, which is basically the second part of our business that we also that we also have, where we can actually manage the identity for your product as well. So there are customers that have gone beyond what we call the workforce, which is people that are using cloud services to actually embedding Okta into their service. Because of course we, we know identities, so we have APIs. So you can actually directly call our APIs to actually power your identity for whatever product or service you're developing. So we have the developer side and the IT side, if you will. So you have everything that I have that I have been this talking about is kind of the, what the CIO would be interested in, or the, the director of IT would be interested in. But we also have kind of what the CTO would be interested in, which is really using Okta APIs to build to use us as a platform to power identity for their service. And then they don't have to worry about not only usernames and passwords, but also they don't have to worry about multi-factor authentication, supporting kind of multiple standards, I don't know, face uh, ID or, or thumb authentication. All of that can be done via just Okta APIs. So the first engineering challenge that stands out for a product like Okta is that you essentially have the security properties of a password manager. And that means that you could, in a worst case scenario, you could have this this honeypot of password information that if it was exposed, it would really create a, a significant security problem for a customer. So security is, is something that's been paramount to the product from day one. Can you describe how security management factors into the engineering process at Okta? Yeah, absolutely. So security is is embedded in our DNA, in our culture, in our engineering organization, of course. And I've been in security for for a number of years to know that security is not a digital thing. It's not, are you secure or not? It's really a continuum of things that you need to do. And I think part of it is just embedding it really in the culture and constantly evolving it. So from the way we train our engineers in kind of common security gotchas in code or concept to the way we have our security team constantly pen testing and constantly doing source code reviews and constantly hiring even other other firms to constantly look at the security of Okta. Now, again, it's a continuum of things that spans across several several aspects of, of security. Now, if you look at the protection of of private material, if you will, um, that also has evolved over time. Now we use KMS services. We actually use the um, AWS KMS service to store a lot of the all, all of the private material, and we also have kind of segmentation of keys across our customers for for obvious reasons. So there is a number of things that we can do. One thing that I uh, that I think is important to to notice, you talked about kind of usernames and passwords. Um, Okta is much 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 more than that because we also do multi-factor authentication. So it's not only kind of your username and password; it's also all the private ma- material that you're gonna be using to authenticate to Okta. So for example, when you log into to Okta. Our customers can also configure multi-factor authentication, which means that, for example, you could get a push notification to your watch or to your phone after you type in your credentials to verify who you are. Or you can use um, WebAuthn, for example, and if you're in a Microsoft Surface, you can authenticate with 
with your face. And so there are a number of things that go into strongly authenticated user. And all of that private material we have to protect, and there are kind of different ways that we do that. In addition to that, we have a ton of data that we can use to do some analytics just because of kind of the type of service that we are and kind of the scale that, that we have gotten to, we have a lot of data and, and, and we can also identify signals to protect. Basically, we look at what people are doing and because of that, we can identify patterns and we can identify signals that can help us also strongly authenticate our users. Okta was started in 2009. This was the earlier days of Amazon Web Services gaining traction. Was Okta built in the cloud from day one? Yeah, so I mean, our founders are from Salesforce. Our, our CEO used to be the used to run engineering for for Salesforce in the very early days, and so from the first line of the code, Okta was designed to be a cloud service. Uh, we've never had a, an on-premise server till this day. Um, everything is is cloud, and we decided to go on on AWS. But also, you need to. To, to think about the fact that this was AWS 10 years ago. So a lot of the of the infrastructure and services that, that AWS has, that they didn't exist back, th back then, but they had enough that we could really build our infrastructure in AWS. So everything is cloud from the beginning, uh, multi-tenant from the be beginning, scalable in a cloud way, and from the beginning, basically designed to be, to be a service. And describe the software architecture as it stands today, obviously the infrastructure options on AWS have improved a lot. You've also got a whole variety of other cloud providers you could be using. You've got a variety of virtualization and tech and containerization technologies you could be using. What does the software stack look like today? Well, our software stack also has evolved, right? If you think about 10 years ago, I'm not even sure that containers existed. <laughs> and certainly Docker was not what it is right now. And so our, our architecture has evolved. But if you look at it, it's a traditional enterprise stack where we have basically multiple tiers of, of stateless servers backed by a database and a bunch of caching engines and, and backend jobs. So we're built in Java. I would say 95% of the product is built in Java and we're backed by MySQL databases, many of them. And then um, we use Redis for our caching and also RPC. So in, in a high level, we as we started learning about new services of, of AWS, for example, KMS, we really look into what other services that we could leverage, but we're also very careful about not just chasing the latest shiny thing, because a big thing for us is reliability. From the very early, we, we understood that we were building an infrastructure service. And a lot of our customers kind of think about us as power, as internet. You know, if, if you don't have Okta, the business cannot continue, cannot work, especially the customers that are using us to back their, their service. I mean, identity and our reliability is, is incredibly paramount for them. And so because of that, we cannot put our architecture at risk. So what we do is that anytime there is a new service that we want to use, we typically create an abstraction before even start to trying it out so that we could always kind of have a ensure that there is no single point of failure in the architecture. And so I would say that the way the architecture has evolved has been mostly around reliability and scalability in the sense that we need to understand the failure modes for 
all of our components at a different levels of stack and, and make sure that the system is able to work around those failure modes and react very, very quickly. And hopefully at, at computer speed and not, not human speed. And so, as you know, I mean, these cloud services and infrastructure services that are out there, they don't provide redundancy by themselves. So, or if they provide redundancy, we cannot even rely on that redundancy. It's basically building an architecture where we can build redundancy on top of redundancy and we can make sure that at any point in the architecture there's no single point of failure. That has been the, the real evolution of, of the Okta architecture and everything that we have been adding is built that way. So for example, if, if we need to send an SMS, if we want to send an SMS as, as part of your factor so that you type in your username, your password, and then we also send you an SMS message, right? Well, we cannot rely on the SMS provider because the SMS providers could also be having a problem. So we have two of them. And so, and we automatically are doing dynamic routing, which means that if one of the providers is having problems or we, we, or our customers are not, we have basically some heuristics that we have built into the system and the system will automatically switch to other providers. And we have to do that at any, at any, at any point of the, of the architecture. So it's not only the services that we use, but also how we use them to ensure no single points of failure. Let's take containers and Kubernetes as an example. This is a piece of software that has become much more accessible to the average engineering organization. Ten years ago, I, yeah, I don't know if... I think containers were a thing in the sense that Google had internal container technologies. You know, there there were C groups and namespaces in Linux, and those could be turned into things that people called containers. But today, yeah, you have the the productization of containers in terms of Docker or the usability improvements in terms of Docker. And then you have the, the container cluster management system in terms of Kubernetes. Now, that doesn't necessarily give you anything that you didn't have with just EC2-based virtual machines on uh, AWS. But it does give you some greater flexibility some better economies of scale in terms of managing your infrastructure. And so th- with that kind of architectural decision, I'm I'm curious as to how quickly you would move in that direction or if you would even move in that direction because maybe it doesn't even matter that much. Maybe that's not something you even care about that much because every you know the thing that's most important is reliability. Maybe this is just such an important server component that you just don't even want to mess with it. So as kind of a case study in Okta infrastructure, how have you approached the newer containerization options? Yeah, so the reality is that as the Okta architecture has evolved, also our products have evolved as well, right? We, we have new offerings, we have kind of new things that we're offering to our customers. So I'll, I'll give you one example. A long time ago, we didn't have an LDAP interface. You know, we basically build, build our own directory so we can be the master for, for users, but our APIs were not LDAP compatible. And so we started basically having customers that actually wanted to connect systems that were using LDAP APIs directly to Okta, and we didn't have an interface for that. And so we had to build a new interface, a new translation layer, if you will, that would take the LDAP APIs and translate them into something that Okta could understand. And then at that point, there were two options, you know. One option could be, you know, put it in the, in the, in the existing system, just add a little bit more code to do that translation layer, and then you're done. And the other option was basically to say, hey, let's just evaluate 
the technologies that are out there right now and how we can leverage them and see if we can create a service that it's kind of looks more modern and gives us all of the kind of new things that, that we could get from containers, from anything that, that AWS uses, right? And so we decided to actually go with a microservice. And so the, the LDAP interface that customers can use, it's actually backed by a microservice and then that microservice is a stateless service that basically does that translation. And that's built with containers and built kind of all of the kind of new New, new, new things that are out there now. So it's a matter of like anything that is new. We try to leverage um, kind of the new technologies and the new stuff that is out there that is also changing very, very quickly. And then for the stuff that is kind of more legacy, we try to find when is the right time to basically extract maybe a portion of it and make it and, and try to use the newer technologies. But there's stuff that is going to continue to work and it's going to be very reliable. So we don't really want to touch it. And when we touch it, we want to make sure that we convert it in a way that we always have a fallback mechanism. That's why those any any change like that where we actually touch a model that module that has been working for like, I don't know, now five, ten years, it really takes months, if not years, for us to make that transition. So we're very, very careful about it. But we of course we want to try to leverage the latest things that are out there. So we do have um, initiatives that are kind of taking some of those modules and evaluating when we need to use kind of newer, newer technologies. But everything new ends up being kind of in whatever kind of new architectures are out there, ends up being based in those. Something at the heart of Okta's engineering is integrations. So as you said in your initial description of the product, if I get an Okta account when I sign up for the company, if I join the company as an, as an engineer, my Okta account, when it gets spun up, is going to spin up a user account for the company's box and the company's GitHub and maybe the company's Stripe account or Twilio and all these different SaaS tools that I might need a login for, Okta becomes the shim over that login experience. And that means that you have to build integrations with all of these different SaaS providers. And integrations can be a really overwhelming challenge for you know for a company that does have to build a lot of integrations because as i see it that the number of saas tools that you have to integrate with is just it's growing and growing and growing and you have to maintain those integrations over time so how do you systematize the testing and the expansion and the the demands that come from a growing surface area of different products that you have to integrate with. Yep, it's tough. <laughs> the way you describe it is a, is, a, is a good way to think about the problem. So the reality is that when we initially developed Okta, we probably needed to focus on maybe like 20, maybe 50 products, right? You had the boxes of the world, the Salesforce of the world, and everything was basically built in a monolithic way, if, if you will, right? So we would be developing those applications that they ended up being kind of like a fixed hardcore classes in Java that would connect to those services. Eventually, it, it was very obvious to us that we needed to really take more of like a platform approach. 
And so over the years, we basically created a, a full-on metadata-based architecture so that we can develop these applications much, much faster as kind of new services come along. In some cases, we don't even have to write code because at the end of the day, you start looking at kind of things that are common across multiple services, and then you just need to configure it. So it becomes a matter of just configuring a template, if you will, or templatizing this this, this configuration. So um, over the years, we have evolved that piece, but it's definitely one of the biggest things that, that we are. I think I would say that Okta is three things. So we are an infrastructure company, we are a security company, and we are, of course, an integration company, and not necessarily in that order. <laughs> and integrations has been really big for us. As I said, we have a metadata system to do all of that. We have application analysts that can tweak or fix an application very, very quickly. But also, we, we have a lot of heuristics-based monitoring because it's, it's almost trying to live in a world where a lot of it is unknown and also you don't really control it. Because, for example, tomorrow, one of the thousands and thousands of providers that we support could change their API without telling us because, of course, they're they, they don't have to tell us. And so we need to be able to detect that and fix it very quickly. Now, of course, we have really good partnerships with a lot of ISVs, but there's also a lot of smaller ISVs that are not even going to know that they're breaking integration with either, either the single sign-on protocol or the provisioning protocol. So a lot of what we do, and this is very big for us, is being able to monitor, identify patterns, identify kind of, kind of regression so that we can react very quickly try to find as many micro as we have, and also being able to evolve these applications as, as new services are added. In addition to that, we also create frameworks so that customers can build their own applications. So if you have an internal build system, Okta doesn't have to build that application anymore. There used to be a time when we did. Now it's basically more of like a platform approach where customers can actually build their own in integrations. And that basically exploded as well in terms of the numbers. You know, at one point I remember several years ago, we were we had about three or four thousand applications in the what we call the Okta integration network. And when I did a, a quick search to see how many uh, customers had built their own applications, the number was about thirteen thousand. And so it's definitely more than an order of magnitude because once you let customers build on your platform and they have, I don't know, they may have like five or 10 internally built applications that they want to integrate with Okta, then that numbers becomes really exponential. And just fast forward two, four, three, uh, three, four, five years, and then that, that continues to grow. Last but certainly not least, which is also very important in integration, is that we also extended our, our reach because before we only used to do cloud applications. Now we can do on-premise and now we can even do applications behind the firewall. So applications that even our, our system or as the, our developers do not even have access to, you can still build them with on-premise provisioning or on-premise single sign-on that, that we can support as well. So the number of applications has grown dramatically over the years. And we also do, and because of that, we also have a lot of data and we produce a business at work report every year where we actually show all of the trends in applications and what people are doing with, with the Okta application network. So yeah, big, big thing for us. One of the trends in the last 10 years has been the growth of API companies. So it's obviously Box has an API, but Box is also a rich platform where you're managing files. The more recent things that people think of as API products are things like Twilio or like Stripe. How does Okta 
integrate with these different kinds of APIs. Is there anything notably different about Okta's integration with the API companies relative to the more classic SaaS product types? We also are an API company in the sense that there is a lot of customers that are using Okta for their product and service. So um, the traditional workforce is one of our areas. The other side is basically using Okta APIs to power your system. So there are some even consumer websites that are using Okta APIs that you would not even be able to tell that Okta is behind the scenes and, and authenticating the user, but customers can actually use our APIs. And when we started kind of um, having that kind of line of business, we basically started getting really good at really authenticating APIs. So for example, we can be an, an open ID token uh, provider, for example, where people can actually secure those APIs and do API access management with Okta. And so that's basically more on, on, on the CTO side that I, was, that I was talking about, where we actually become really authentication for those services and we can give you kind of tokens that where you could even kind of authenticate your own services. So in a, in a world of microservices, for example, where you even want to authenticate your own APIs, you could also use Okta as an open ID provider and, and have client IDs and, and create kind of authenticators all built in Okta. Now, that is a very, very different thing than what we have been describing as, as basically the workforce or yet connecting to cloud services. This is more of like what a developer would do. And if you go to, for example, developer.okta.com and you're trying to build um, authentication for APIs, it's going to be a very, very different experience that you go to, to our website and, 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 and go to our workforce site, which is more of, again, the CIO versus the CTO. So yeah, I mean, the short answer is it's, it's very, 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 it's a, it's a different world, but Okta as an identity platform, we also think about um, not only authenticating people, but also authenticating services and authenticating APIs. I'd like to walk through a login with Okta in uh, some technical detail. Can you just explain what happens when a user logs into Okta? Give me some of the breakdown of the security key management and the workflow of different services behind the scenes. Wow. <laughs> that is one of the things that I think is part of our uh, value. I think the value that we bring to our customers is that we make the, the complex look very, very simple. So let me, there are a number of things that, that could be involved in, a, in an Okta authentication. I'm going to try to do, I guess, one of the most common ones, which, which may or may not be one of the simple ones. So let's say you want to authenticate to, you click on a link. Let's say, let's say you, you get an email and you get a link from, um, I don't know, a Salesforce record that you wanna, that you wanna see, right? So the way it works is that you see a Salesforce link on email, then you click on it and your browser is gonna take you to that Salesforce page. Salesforce knows that you're trying to access a specific tenant then Salesforce is configured to use Okta or Salesforce know that Salesforce will know that Okta is your identity provider. And so then Salesforce is basically going to redirect you to Okta with some magic redirection. And then your browser is actually going to show an Okta page and it's going to be your sign on page that is going to be customized to you. So we already know the tenant. We're going to show you whatever page it's customized to meet whatever your tenant uh, name is. 
And then it's probably gonna be username and password, right? In the most simple, simple scenario. So you type in your username, you type in your password, that sends uh, those credentials to Okta. Then at Okta, there are some policies that are evaluated. And then at that point, we evaluate where you're coming from, if uh, you're you are even allowed to, to authenticate, if you have any geo location restrictions, for example, if you have any specific policies around your device, about your, uh, around your IP address, anything that gets, gets evaluated in that policy. So uh, let's say your policy requires a multi-factor authentication. So then at that point, we're gonna return a different page to you so that you can use one of the multi-factor that, that you have configured. And let's say that that factor is a push notification to your watch. And so at that point, the page that we send you, it's just gonna be like, hey, you're gonna be receiving a push notification, just uh, accept it. And then at that point, the backend is gonna send via the APN if you're using, or whatever the Apple push notification service or the Android notification service, you're gonna get it to your watch. In your watch, you're gonna see the location of the, of, of the request, you're gonna get the IP address, some information, you get in your watch, you say accept. That accept goes through a different flow. Obviously, whatever your watch is using for Wi-Fi or LTE, and it's and that's gonna get to Okta. Okta is gonna get, make that connection. It's gonna know that okay, I just had a partial session, and the verification from this second factor that is gonna create a strong authentication. And now, okay, now we know who you are. Now we know who you are, and then we're gonna send that. We're gonna basically create a SAML assertion, and then we're gonna that is really like a token, if you will. That, that we provide for your browser so that your browser can actually present that to Salesforce. So that token gets to your browser in the form of a redirect. Your browser basically redirects to, to Salesforce. Salesforce will basically verify that that's signed by Okta and there was obviously previous trust that was created when Salesforce and Okta were initially configured. And then finally Salesforce will say, okay, know who you are. The SAML session will have everything that they need to authorize you and then you're gonna see the page that you had access to. That's a simple one. I can give you a little bit more complex one. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Now, this illustrates one facet of Okta, which is that, okay, this is core infrastructure, and it needs to be quite fast, and there's a lot of integration points. There's a lot of network hops. So I'm wondering, what kind of instrumentation do you have to be able to understand the trace of all of these different network hops and to be able to diagnose latency issues that might be occurring along this complicated request path, which, by the way, is just one of, I don't know how many integrations you have, but you, need, you must have some kind of standard instrumentation infrastructure for being able to detect what's what's going on in this kind of trace. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, in this particular scenario, I, I choose not to use multiple identity providers or delegated authentication. For example, if there was an LDAP server or some Active Directory authentication that was involved in this flow, which happens also for certain certain authentication paths, right? So you're absolutely right. So we're maniacal about uh, monitoring. And I, I guess uh, the simplest answer is there is a request ID that is basically passed uh, left and right, but there is also a lot of systems that are involved in this. And so we also 
are redundant in the way we monitor our service. And so we have uh, several products for APM, several products for log management. And so we can actually track all of this and all of the times of everything that is happening. And we can tie all of these requests together. But we cannot monitor that at human speed, right? That would be impossible at the scale that we are. And so we also have created a lot of alerts and dashboards and and heuristics and analytics around all of these requests that are happening in our system. And one thing that is, I don't know how unique it is, but it was definitely unique 10 years ago. Maybe I don't know if, if, if it's still unique now, but our test team, what's traditional called like, like a QA team, our, our test team is basically engineers that are not only kind of like doing the traditional black box testing, but they're basically writing tests and writing synthetic transactions that are constantly happening at Okta, but in the, uh, just to monitor what's going on. But in addition to that, they also create dashboards. They also create automated alerts. They also create these heuristics and analytics to identify when trends are, are changing. And that's basically how we can monitor and react very, very quickly, hopefully, hopefully before customers notice that there is there is a problem. And then once kind of our automated systems alert, we, we have basically all the traceability of everything that is going on. And we have thresholds across everything that I talked about. For, so for example, in delegated authentication, when we have to delegate to another system, that is constantly being monitored. And when, when we see a trend where even like a few customers are seeing slight delays, that basically triggers what we call tribal alert. And those tribal alerts go to a lot of architects and engineers that are basically looking to see if there is a problem. And if we identify that there is something that could potentially cause problems, then the engineer calls what we called a flare. <laughs> and then when you call a flare, it's basically pager duty calling a number of, again, architects, QA engineers, and managers, just looking to see if there could be any, any customer impact. After that, we escalate to other phases of yellow and red, just to make sure that we can try to detect things that are not doing great in the service, even before customers start noticing. But again, this is something that we have evolved over 10 years and over, obviously I'm oversimplifying it. But yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we have to have traceability for everything that is happening because the complexity it, is, is incredible. And also this has to happen within seconds, right? If, if not milliseconds. You've been with Okta for seven years, and the org has grown a lot in that time. Can you describe how the engineering org structure has evolved since you joined the company and how it looks today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when I joined, we were very, very small. <laughs> I think we probably had like maybe 10 people in engineering. So it was it was very, very small. Uh, we have um, hundreds of people now in engineering. But I think the, the core thing was that I think the, the organizational structure has evolved as much as the company and the business has evolved. We're very lucky and knock on wood if I find wood here, but we do have a lot of people that have stayed in the company like for many, many years as well. Uh, we have people that have been here three, four, five, six, seven years. And so we have a lot of the, the same people that were in the company when the company was a startup, continues to be in the company because again, they're excited about the mission. I mean, with, they believe the work that they do is impactful and they basically have evolved with the company as well. And so they have created basically teams around them. And so we're constantly kind of in, obviously improving the, the talent and the talent pool as well. But also the, the, the company has evolved to the point that I think one one big thing that I, that I think I could give you an, as, ex, uh, as an example of a structure that has changed is that before we used to have a team that would just develop, uh, let's say the 
product, right? any, any features. And the same team would basically look at scalability, performance, reliability, so it's basically just one team. And at one point in the evolution of Okta, we decided that it was such, such a critical thing to make sure that we thought like an infrastructure service that we actually divided the team into the team that only deals with infrastructure, scalability, reliability, technical operations, and a team that deals with the product features. There was a huge transition for us because at that time, the, the product management team didn't appreciate that we were basically really like carving out a big piece of the engineering organization with, with really strong architects that were only going to be looking at really bits and bytes and not any features. And then that was a big transition for the company, but it proven to be something that was very, very powerful, a very powerful message for the organization. Until this point, I mean, we have a, a, a ratio of people that are only focused on that. And these are not just the traditional kind of system operators. I mean, these are engineers, architects that have been in the Valley for many, many years that are developing product that are only focused focused on on API performance, on reliability, on scalability, on, on like self-healing. And they're not basically, they cannot be distracted, for example, by, by a customer feature that, that we need to release very quickly. They, they are only focused on the infrastructure part of the service, on the, on the core kind of uh, bones and bits and bytes of, of the service. That, that, that's basically one example. But I mean, it, the transition has been quite big if you, think in, if you think about kind of how the company has, has grown over the past few years. What's the hardest engineering problem that you're solving today at Okta? I think the hardest problem, there's a lot of problems and part of my job is always being worried about <laughs> kind of the next thing and always being paranoid. But I think the hardest problem is just to make sure that as an engineering organization, we can get ahead of the business growth. We've been kind of very fortunate that the business continues to grow, our customers are getting bigger and the types of challenges that we solve are, are, getting, are getting bigger and more complex. I do remember that a long time ago, we would, we would be scared when, when there was a customer that was gonna go live with, I don't know, like 5,000 users, right? And we were like, oh my God, I hope the system can, can handle that. And now we have basically go lives with, with literally millions of users. And so it's, it's a very, very completely different, different game. And I think our big challenge as an engineering organization is to make sure that we can anticipate the business grow, growth and we can build technology that is going to be ahead of the growth. So for us, it's all about business growth. For us, it's about business growth. And so if, if we were kind of, if the business was at the, uh, at the stage where we were, I don't know, onboarding thousands of users, we need to make sure that we, uh, the system can do 10,000 users, right? And so we basically need to be always one order of magnitude ahead of the business growth. That's a huge challenge for a company like us, where literally in, in the span of this interview, hundreds of thousands of people authenticated at Okta. Right. And so we always need to make sure that the technology can scale much, much faster than the business. So along Okta's growth, you have expanded into this customer identity segment. And from what I can tell, this is this is the largest product adjacency that you have moved into, the largest brand new product adjacency. I mean, obviously, it's related to the core workforce identity product, but it's something different. Customer identity, you know, if I'm trying to manage the identity of my customers, of my e-commerce company or my media company, that's a very different product than managing the identity of people who are working for me. 
So what have you learned in the process of building out that product adjacency? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that, that I just mentioned as well was, you know, in the workforce side of the, of the house, there is not a lot of companies that have millions of employees, right? But on the customer side of the house, there is a lot of companies that have like millions of, of customers. So it's definitely a different game as you, as, as, you, as you mentioned. And I think the biggest thing that, that we have found is that the actual kind of infrastructure and the API monitoring becomes much more complex when you're talking about people that are going to be authenticating literally millions of or customers that are going to have people that are going to be authenticating really millions of times a month versus an employee that would authenticate maybe once a week and, and maybe once um, because then they're, they're going to use whatever they use for, for their, their business, right? Also, the, the spikes, there are some very interesting interesting spikes that we see when people go live with new products or services. But I think, that, I think the biggest learning has been for us the way we have to tune the monitoring to understand the use cases of our customers and, and what's important for them. And so I think at Okta, we, are, we have been getting very good at understanding what our customers are doing with our product. And there are kind of different different ways to think about it and depending on what they're doing and, and what their business is. So for example, if you are a grocery store that has potentially thousands of, or even millions of customers that wanna get uh, coupons every specific day, then we know kind of how, how the usage uh, patterns are. And so we have to build and tune our, our monitoring so that we know that everything's fine for that particular use case. Whereas we have other customers that have kind of product go lives and, and, and things that are selling that, that happen all the time that we also need to get ready for that. And also the type of customers that are more of like a, like a set schedule of, of things that happen every month. So basically what I'm trying to say is that we have to ha tuning and monitoring that, that tailors very specific use cases. And in the consumer space, it's much, much more than the workforce identity and, and, and the variety of those cases is exponential as well. Okay, uh, last couple questions. Tell me something that you believe about modern software engineering that I would be unlikely to hear from anyone else. I'll give you two. And these are two things that are really, really embedded in the culture of Okta. The first one is that continuous integration loops are not enough. I listened to that specifically when, when we talk to small companies that have never really seen large scale and they'll tell you, oh yeah, just make sure that your test cases are well done and, and, and then you'll never have problems in production. In a, in a product like Okta, that would be very hard because we're always looking and designing for the unknown. We don't know how our customers are going to be kind of integrating with our products and services. We don't know kind of the integrations that our customers are building. And so our test cases have to be really good, of course, and they have to prevent everything that we know. But we also need to get ready for the unknown. So the pre-testing, if you will, becomes, or the post-testing, if you will, becomes as important as a pre-testing. So monitoring, synthetic transactions, and really understanding how the product is being used becomes sometimes even more important than when you do pre-testing. So that's kind of one thing, really the, the fallacy that, that, that a continuous integration, continuous deployment loop is always enough for quality. I think that's just the beginning. There is much more things that you have to do to ensure a service with, with high quality. And the second one is we have a hashtag that we use at Okta called hashtag no mysteries. 
And that has been something that has been very evident at Okta, where because we're dealing with so much complexity, sometimes engineers will kind of default to saying, oh, you know what, there was a network blip, or maybe a customer is doing something that, that we were not expecting, but there's, they, they've stopped and we don't have to look into it. And so because of that, we have this hashtag no mysteries, because for every single thing that we identify in the product, we need to find the root cause for it. And sometimes we spend literally months looking into exactly what the root cause was for a specific thing, even if it didn't have exact customer um, impact. And because we're maniacal about that, we have identified a lot of very interesting things in our software, in the products that we use, or even if in our providers that have helped us build a much more robust and high quality service. So for us, the no mysteries and the, the post-testing, if you will, is a fundamental part of our culture that I don't think is needed in, in all organizations. I think, I think it would help all organizations, but I don't think it's as critical as it is for Okta to have those two things really nailed. Okay. Hector, that sounds like a great place to close off. Thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you.